Welcome to the Daily Sports Show Redo. I am your host, Tyler James. Here at the Redo, I've spent my time watching and listening to all the talking heads give their inflated takes on popular topics. Then I pick a few of those topics that I find good, bad, or just plain weird, and give them a redo by giving my take without the yelling, pandering, or trying to create a new hot take. Let's get into it. First thing for the agenda is going into this Sunday afternoon game, Dallas at Buffalo. Currently, Buffalo is a two and a half point favorite over the Dallas Cowboys. Let's see what uh, people around the, the media are saying. They, they're actually kind of picking Buffalo here. Everyone's leaning more towards Buffalo. You know, they just came off that win against the Kansas City Chiefs where Petra Mahomes lost his mind over the offsides call. Dallas absolutely pummeled the Philadelphia Eagles. Uh, this, people are talking more about how Buffalo's going to be more desperate to win the game, which, I mean, sure, that's it's true, especially after Miami lost on Monday night, making the division still kind of wide open there about – or a game and a half, two games behind now. Miami at nine wins, Buffalo at seven and six. But just simply saying they're they're more desperate and they, they need it more doesn't really add up to what the Cowboys are currently doing. Ever since the 49ers game, they've really just been pedal to the metal, just clicking on all gears. It's they're proving they look like a Super Bowl contending team. So it's, I don't necessarily see why everyone is, granted they are being wishy-washy about it. They're setting themselves up for a a win-win situation. They're saying mostly like, oh, I can see Buffalo winning here. I expect them to win here because Dallas hasn't been, you can say they haven't been good on the road because that's where their only three losses have been on the road. Granted, they've won on the road as well, but the three they do have, they were road games. But it's, I don't know. For me, saying simply Buffalo wants it more and needs it more, which from a playoff standpoint, kind of. But even then, Dallas needs to win this if they want to keep their hopes of the division alive, the hopes of the number one seed alive, and the hopes of being basically continuing to put the narrative to bed that they can't beat teams above 500 because currently they've only beat one, the Eagles. So for me, it's... I'm still picking Dallas here, especially since the weather report in Buffalo in December to Sunday isn't that bad. It's cold, but you don't have the blizzard that you'd expect around this time of year. So for me, I'm picking Dallas. I think they're the clearly been a more consistent and better team all year. Josh Allen, of course, you know what he's capable of. He's done it the past couple of years. That's kind of why he has the status he has to a degree. But I'm still, Dallas is across the board, I think, every position better. Uh, it's, you know, one of the things that was, you know, kind of a big highlight for the conversation piece was Dak Prescott or Josh Allen. Like, who would you have right now as your franchise quarterback? Who's better? And is everyone made what I decided is like the, the right choice in picking Dak Prescott. He's been more consistent over his years. He's been 
better statistically. He has all the stats in his favor. Josh Allen really got kind of anointed this elite status, this rival to Patrick Mahomes after the AFC Championship game where he drove his team in the field and put him in the position to win the game, 12 seconds left. And, of course, Patrick Mahomes, miracle fashion, gets his team in position to send him to overtime where they win the coin toss and score a touchdown. So Josh Allen never got the ball after leading him on that great drive. But at the end of the day, he gets all this status and recognition for a loss in a conference championship, not a Super Bowl, but a loss. And since then, he's really underachieved from what people perceive he will accomplish. Because every year, for the most part, it seems that he's the MVP favorite entering the year. The Buffalo Bills are right there as the favorite, second, third favorite to win Super Bowl. And they haven't done that. I mean, he's got bounced up by Joe Burrow, keeps getting bounced up by Patrick Mahomes. This year, it's kind of, after last weekend's win, they're in better position to make the playoffs. But they were, before that game, they were kind of like, uh, I don't know if they're going to make the playoffs this year. And they're definitely not going to win their division. That's going to be Miami for sure. But now it's still, doors open. But I don't know if they're going to be able to walk through that door. And of course, this comes back to Dak Prescott in the conversation of he's He's coming up on the end of his contract. And what do you do with that? When he got paid a couple years ago, it was I was I was on the side of he got paid more than he should have. But then again, especially if you look at this year with how bad quarterback play has has been, it's when you have a guy who can get you double digit wins, put you in position to win the your division put you in position to be in the playoffs consistently, you kind of have to pay him. I mean, it's if not, you're hoping for a Brock Purdy-like miracle where you just draft a guy and he ends up filling in for your injured starter and he becomes great. If that's your, you know, your game plan, you're going to be probably hurting. So when you have a quarterback who can really get it done, you kind of do have to pay him and of course the price of quarterbacks has gone up drastically since Dak's initial contract and we got Justin Herbert there with a quarter of a billion dollars to go to win four games and then get a season ending injury so I can only imagine what Dak's going to be especially hopefully they're they're obviously going to wait till the end of the season to really begin negotiations so depending on where he finishes this year which I'm hoping Super Bowl obviously if he wins the Super Bowl, wins league MVP, I, I say you back the truck up and say whatever you want, man. Just keep doing it. But, yeah, that's it's going to be definitely, hopefully, more of an off-season discussion as opposed to something that hopefully doesn't take up too much bandwidth for the playoffs once they finally get there. And that's all I got for Buffalo favorite over Dallas. Let's get into it with some golf talk. Doesn't really happen that often on sports podcasts, but here we go. Live Golf is taking once again more slander from Fred Couples. You know, he's won the Masters before. He's got 
large number of wins on the PGA Tour. So respected golfer, Hall of Fame golfer, just uh, one of those staples in the in the golf community. For some of you that don't know, I don't follow golf too much. Live is a a Saudi backed golf league that's supposed to be you know rival to the PGA Tour. It's gotten a lot of criticism um, for multiple reasons, you know, like the for the on the course reasons, if you will, is because they are a three day competition as opposed to the traditional four day competition. So 54 holes for 72 holes and they don't have a cut after the 36 holes. People don't like that. You know, they, they call the league or the, the tour an exhibition tour, which is I don't agree with that. I mean, you still have top players in the world who are in a, in a, in a kind of, I think a cool way for them. They're, they have a contract where they get paid to be there. Cause you know, look around all the other sports leagues, you know, they all have contracts where regardless if they win or lose, they're getting a salary for their, for showing up and playing at a high level for the PGA tour. You know, that's, you know, when you're a, uh, top 100 guy, top 50 guy who's able to go out every weekend and be in the money and just collect check after check after check. That's great. And, you know, that's what people like about the PGA Tour and, you know, golf in general is these guys are out there basically as freelancers fighting for their livelihood each and every weekend. But it's, you know, when you you hear about the stories of guys who live in their trucks and vans and cars for some up to a decade, just traveling around the PGA tour events. Cause they're on the lower end of a PGA tour pros, you know, and they're struggling and struggling. And they finally break through and get that top five finished and make that million dollars. It's, it is, it's nice. That you see that story like, Oh, this guy was living out of his car. You know, you, wasn't able to see his kids, you know, but he's able to finally break through after 10 years as a 40 year old man and win an event. It's kind of like everyone cheers that, but you kind of think about it like, damn, this dude was a high, realistically, if you're on the PGA tour, you are in the top 1% of the 1% of golfers and you're struggling to provide because you're living your dream. You know, it's, we're kind of sharing that when realistically, it's kind of like, uh, I kind of wish he was able to provide some kind of livelihood outside of living in your van. So obviously, obviously you can tell I'm a, I'm a fan of live, the live golf tour. I mean, I'm a person who I enjoy golf. So if there's more golf, I'm all about it. It's a different format too. They got the shotgun start. So as soon as, you know, 9am hits, everyone's teeing off on different holes. So it's a, it's only really like a three and a half hours of you have time you have to commit to the golf channel to watch it, not the golf, cause then on the golf channel, but the WB, that's where they're at or YouTube, wherever you want to watch. So you can get it done as opposed to waking up at 5am and that's, that's to get delayed. So you have to maybe wait three hours to watch the guy you want to watch. Cause some people, you know, I'm, I have a specific golfers I like to follow. So, you know, I would wait until maybe 2 p.m. for them to tee off because they had later tee off that day. So for me, the shotgun start is nice. I wish they had more of a group-focused cameras like the PGA Tour does on their events. That's really good when they highlight the golfers I want to watch. And uh, let's get into the why 
what Fred Couples is saying about the, I mean, he's a big criticism is the whole, when the, when big name players or golfers jump, you know, you had Mickelson obviously, but everyone called him washed up, but he ended up going and finishing before he's shine of lip. He won the, the PGA, um, made one of the PGA majors, but then he switched to live. So everyone's calling him washed and all this. Then he had the, I think top three finish at the masters. So it's kind of like, is he washed? Uh, Cam Smith, obviously he came off the, the open winning that, but then jumping over to live where he's won a couple events. He hasn't really performed at the high level you we expect from him, but you know, they're kind of like, Oh, these people are choosing money over legacy and this and that. And, that's what Fred Couples argues in his in his complaint where he was interviewed about it, you know, because John Rahm he's the the most current and probably one of the I'd say probably the biggest signing for them. I think he's the uh, the discussion was four hundred million for him to be on live. So I was like, that's huge. And he just won the Masters last year. He's twenty nine years old, so he's a young guy. He's got so much left in the, in the tank for him to. Really, just carve out a nice legacy for himself. You know, like most people, when they join Live or kind of anything, really, they talk about they want to grow the game. Whether that's basketball, football, uh, soccer, they people talk about growing the game. And you know, this lives more, I think, for a younger generation. It definitely doesn't have that old timey feel because they do their events are a little bit more active and stuff which you know if you're trying to appeal to a younger base there you go but fred couples you know older guy he's he wants everyone on live to admit they're playing for money like they're they're going there because of the money which uh harold varner the third he signed up live last year before the second season and he bluntly said he's like of course the money was a he essentially said the money was obviously a big part of it because he can set up his family now forever which hey that's great you get to financially make sure your family their kids their kids kids are set for life that's great and you get to go play professionally what you're good at that's great but for a couple you know he's i guess he took offense to what john Rahm was saying because he didn't really mention the 400 million dollars which was kind of like it's kind of a no-brainer. I mean, obviously, you give anyone nearly half a billion dollars, that's going to affect their decision-making process. But there's nothing wrong with John Rom saying he likes the, the the live tour, kind of like the new age, kind of what they're trying to push, growing the game. It brings it to a wider audience. I mean, it's just all it is is more golf. I mean, it's not like live is, for the most part, I haven't seen them on their events, they're not, they're not competing with other PGA tour main events. I mean, the events, they're kind of, kind of line up with each other on, you know, on the same weekend is events where a lot of the pros or the, the big name pros have taken off. So they're not drawing eyes from the Roy McElroy's or the Tiger Woods when he decides to play, like they're not competing for viewership on those days. So they're not taking anything away from the PGA tours, the PGA tour, who's, doing the whole, like, if you go to live, you can never play on a PGA Tour event ever again. So, I mean, that's them kind of making it a bigger deal and a more 
adversarial type event than what Liv is trying to do. Liv is just, I mean, I'm sure there's obviously they want to compete and they want to grow at the same level as the PGA Tour. Obviously, that's what businesses want to do. But they're not directly conflicting with them. I'm sure they would love a partnership more than anything, which is was in the works, is in the works. I don't know what's going on with that whole situation. I think that's just a, from what people are reporting is just a way to get legal jargon out of the way to avoid lawsuits. And, you know, with these uh, comments from Fed couples and others that really kind of echo the same sentiment, sentiment it was where they just, they're just so angry at people for going to live for, I don't understand why. They're just saying they're selling out. They're giving up on legacy when it's like, I mean, at the end of the day, it's just like they they want them to be loyal to a tour where, you know, the tour is not, unless you're someone like Tiger Woods who, or Rory McIlroy where it's like, yes, they've done very well there. And now they get compensation from that tour. They have seats on the boards of those to that tour, you know, they, they are pretty much entangled with that tour. Of course, they're going to be loyal to it. But if you know you have a guy who's won a couple times on there, won a couple majors, he's a big name, but he's not like devoted to that tour. Like, the tour didn't necessarily make him. What made him was his ability to play golf. I mean, the tour didn't, isn't doing people any favors that can't play. You really have to go out there, especially with you know, the style they have with the the cut and the 72 holes. I mean, you're out there by yourself. It's not a team event. No one's carrying you. So these players that are able to make money, build their brand off winning, they're doing that by themselves. They're just doing it in a league they qualified to be in. You know, the PGA Tour didn't come to John John Ram's door in Spain and say, hey, we want you to play golf. No, he crushed it, went to ASU, crushed it, became pro. So won two majors now, I believe that in the U.S. Open. It's like he's done it on his own. The, the, the PGA Tour is simply just a league that exists for pros to play in. As now we have the Live Golf Tour, which is a league for pros to play in. And it's just it blows me away how some people will be so tribalistic about it. Like how it's if you go to Live, you're dead to me. And now I devalue all everything you've always done. From this point forward, you're washed or you're a sellout, which I don't agree with at all. And I think it's just uh, that tribalism where you're just looking at them as adversaries as opposed to it's just another league that's not really, obviously doesn't isn't comparative to the PGA Tour, which has been around for decades, almost a century. So it's, I don't understand the hate. It feels like it's just all manufactured maybe it's just the leadership of the pga tour really just overly played their hand with it and tried to crush them with just kind of the negative press but obviously it's they're going into year three they're signing more and more people getting more and more eyes you know last year they had uh brooks kepka on the Ryder cup team the only live golf player they brought and that was basically because they were forced to because he came off that uh the pga tournament win major and that was his third or fourth one from that specific major i believe so i mean it, it kind of forced his hand because everyone's looking at it like you're going to leave off the recent major winner because he's on a different tour you want the best players in the world granted 
They went to Rome, played the team Europe, and got smashed the entire time except for the final round. They kind of made a comeback, but it was never really a comeback. It was they lost from the get-go, basically. And just hearing about how the how poorly ran the team was by the captain they had is just kind of makes you really go, what a waste of a Ryder Cup for Team USA. You know, I got I got plenty more to say about Live Golf and PGA Tour, but we'll we'll save that for another time. All right, thank you for listening. Let's get into it and let's talk NBA basketball, specifically the in-season tournament, which concluded last weekend with the Los Angeles Lakers beating the Pacers. For me, uh, looking around what people are saying across the podcast and the daily channels and the shows, positive feedback across the board. This in-season tournament, you know, experiment was great. Uh, it's made the first little chunk of the NBA season really enjoyable. Of course, you know, when the season starts, everyone's excited about it. You know, we watch, we see all the great matchups we saw from the playoffs, some rivalry stuff. It's great. We see the new teams that are formed with players being traded and signing here and there. It's awesome. But, you know, after the first couple games, usually, you know, gets a little bit stale because there are 82 games. So you're kind of waiting around, maybe a little bit till later in the season to really kind of see who is doing what. But the in-season, uh, in-season tournament really just, it really fired the players up. I mean, I think everyone, for the most part, looks at it and goes, wow, these guys were playing hard on those, uh, in the group stage. The games just felt different, and it wasn't just because of the crazy court designs they came up with, which were great. But it's just the players really got behind it, and on those days where it was, uh, you know, you could have Celtics versus the Hawks on a non-group day, then you know, a week later they're playing in a group stage, and you're like, wow, these guys are playing way harder. It's just, it's playoff basketball in the regular season to a degree. And, you know, if you can get playoff basketball year-round during an NBA season, it's it makes everything way, just way better to watch. Uh, during the quarter or the semifinals, Lakers, quarterfinals, it was Lakers versus Suns, LeBron versus Durant. That was just a classic game you don't get in November. Like that, the way they played, it was so close, just a tough battle. Lakers came out on top, obviously, so... I mean, just across the board, everyone's happy with the season tournament. I haven't seen anyone say, you know, we'll get into later about people talking about what the actual championship actually means, but we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, but, yes, the Lakers won. They beat the Pacers, who who beat on their road to the championship game. Not only did they beat the Celtics, but they also beat – who else did they beat? beat that team, but they beat two quality teams to get to the Lakers. Like they were kind of that Cinderella team that really kind of made the, the more so it's just like the NCAA tournament. Cinderella stories are great, but when you get to the those moments where it's like, okay, now they're in the final four and the finals and they're playing that juggernaut of a team, which the Lakers were, it was a, it was a little, some good back and forth, but the Lakers were clearly the better team. They shut down their main guy on the Pacers who was 
just crushing everyone so far this year. Uh, with the Lakers winning the championship, it's been reported that they're going to actually hang her banner for the in-season tournament, and that's it's got that's actually gotten mixed reviews some from people, which I can understand this in a in a sense because it's the it's a new kind of I don't want to say gimmicky tournament because that kind of downplays it a bit, but it's so new that it's hard to really it doesn't have that kind of prestige obviously that the NBA finals is going to have. So it's a banner for it. It's kind of like, ah, but if it's something that stays around, you know, from now on, of course, you know, year after year, it's going to gain more and more prestige. And of course, having a team like the Lakers with LeBron, Anthony Davis on that team who won it, hanging that banner in, you know, the crypt, if you will, the crypt arena that gives it more, more juice. It makes it more legitimate as opposed to if the Pacers did somehow pull off the win. You know, it's kind of like, oh, the Indiana Pacers are hanging an in-season tournament banner. It's like, good for them. That's really good. You know, they don't really have a championship pedigree franchise, but it's good they got this, you know, small tournament at the beginning of the season. They can hang their hat on and say, we did it. But with the Lakers and LeBron being a part of that championship team and everyone liking this in-season tournament format, that makes the banner, you know, more legit. Because going forward, you know, if 10 years from now, if 10 more in-season tournaments, you know, this will be part of that whole kind of resume for players that are trying to build Hall of Fame careers, trying to build that kind of GOAT status, if you will. They're going to... You know, 10 years from now, they're going to need that in-season tournament championship, in-season tournament MVP. So it's awesome, in my opinion, for the the brand and for the individual players, such as LeBron, to win that and the MVP to add to his resume, which, yes, right now doesn't mean much in the grand scheme of things of the, the GOAT, the greatest of all time conversation. But down the road, once we've once this tournament has been established as a legit thing for players, it'll definitely add a little more weight to the, his, his GOAT status, in my opinion. And that brings us to the next topic of, does this do anything for LeBron's legacy? I mean, I feel like this tournament for LeBron was a lose-lose situation. Because obviously, if he loses it, it's another, you know another championship he lost, he lost, you know, from four to six in the NBA finals to four and seven overall, they would probably say, I mean, people were probably, you know, I've, I've I watched the, uh, you know, the, the talking heads talk about how, you know, people on Twitter were sitting there with two, two tweets ready to go. One saying, Oh, he's four and seven now in championship games. Then saying, and then one also loaded saying, Oh, another Mickey mouse ring ready to go. So it was just kind of like a, waiting to the end of the game to see which one they can post. Uh, like I was saying about the banner, I mean, for me, I think this helps LeBron's legacy in the long run. Because like I said, down the road, this will be taken more legitimately and really kind of add a little extra with it to fire for his, for his, uh, his GOAT status. I mean, I'll, I'll get into it another time about my who my goat is spoiler alert it's lebron over jordan i'll get to you know i'll do a whole thing on that but 
this definitely does, in my mind, help LeBron because he's a he turns thirty nine a couple days, I believe, year twenty one, and he is the best player on his team with another guy who Anthony Davis is. They he got somehow put in the top seventy five players of all time category, which I disagree with, especially if you keep someone like Dwight Howard out as opposed to, you know, swapping him for Anthony Davis. That's just me. But LeBron's constantly the best player on his team. He's got Anthony Davis right there. He's got all this around him with the Lakers. In year 21, almost 39 years old, and if the Lakers lose games, we're kind of looking at LeBron going, hmm, he didn't have a good game, so that's why they lost. Or, hmm. That's insane to me that a man with, at that year 21, age 39, it still kind of gets flack for when his team loses and he gets, you know, 25 points, 10 boards, 8 assists. It's, you know, it's for me, I'm always impressed by LeBron since day one. And I, I really hope, you know, he continues to play on because it's going to be a sad day when he finally retires and goes and owns a team out in Las Vegas. But overall, you know, the check the box of in-season tournament. It's a great thing. Hope they do it every year and keep it going. It's definitely going to help players, not only with their resume stuff, but also that $500,000 per player on the winning team. I mean, you see in the, some quotes from the Lakers players who weren't, you know, who aren't in the, really in the rotation or don't get much time. You know, hearing them talk about how LeBron was really giving it his all in this tournament and kind of how they, his teammates praised him because, you know, he, he was telling them supposedly from the, what they were saying is he's, he's got them. He's going to help. He's like doing this for you guys, you know, as opposed for himself, obviously, but it's just, it's awesome to see, you know, a player who's, you know, Grant's making 1.5 million, which in the grand scheme of things, that's not a lot for an NBA player. But then he's able to win five hundred thousand dollars. You know that's brings him to two millions. Like that's awesome, and it's for you know, these players to speak nothing but highly of LeBron. So in season tournament, great thing. Keep it going. Hang that banner, Lakers. Hopefully LeBron stays around. He can you know add to that banner. And down the road, this will be something that really puts a little bit extra juice in LeBron's resume for that ghost status for all those. Jordan faithful out there, which that's not a wrong, it's not a wrong choice either. I'm not saying that Jordan's not a wrong choice for your goat. I just, I prefer LeBron, you know, and that's all I got on this so far. See you guys next time. Thanks for listening to the daily sports show redo. Feel free to reach out to me on social media. I'll see you next time.